As I mentioned earlier, I'll be preaching from Isaiah chapter 9, and uh, I've been heavily benefited from reading a book by Tim Keller uh, on the topic of of, uh, Christ and Christmas. So uh, I'm being open and transparent. I'm going to riff on him big time. Uh, Let me pray. Loving Father, thank you that we can come and open up your word. Show us the glory and wonder that is Christ. Uh, Lead us in the way of repentance and faith, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, a big clue that it's Christmas is all the lights. Uh, Lights on trees, maybe lights in windows, lights down the street, or draped over rooftops, lights everywhere, millions of them. And there's always one night, isn't there, where as a family we will drive around town uh, and what do we look at night time and what are we looking at? The lights, the Christmas lights. Uh, here in Inverell, I think it's Mile Street, you turn right into Mile Street and every second house seems to be wrapped in millions and millions and millions of stars. And the lights are not just decorative, they're supposed to be symbolic. Why? Why are lights symbolic at Christmas? Why? Because the world is a dark place. I mean, what do you do when you enter a dark room? Of course, you put a light on, don't you? And we will navigate life well in this world uh, that is a dark place, this world. We will navigate, never navigate life well in this world unless Jesus himself is our light. Matthew's Gospel quotes our passage today. Matthew says it's that good. Here it is, Isaiah 9, verse 2. The people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, A light has dawned. In our Gospel reading from John's Gospel, chapter 1, verse 9 and 10, it says about Jesus, the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognise him. How is the world dark, you might ask? Well, on the one hand, when the Bible talks about darkness, it means that the world is filled with evil and suffering. Now, that was true at the time of Jesus' birth. There was violence, injustice, abuse of power, homelessness. There's refugees fleeing oppression, families ripped apart and profound grief. And that's just Jesus' family. And if you jump forward 2,000 years, same, same story. Same story. Violence, injustice, abuse of power, homelessness, list goes on. But on the other hand, when the Bible talks about darkness, it's also referring to ignorance. What do I mean? Well, Isaiah 9 verse 2, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light, but prior to that, In chapter 8, at the end of chapter 8, in verses 19 to 20, what are the people doing? Well, they're consulting mediums and magicians instead of God. They're in darkness. And then it says that the people were distressed and hungry, verse 21. They roam through the land like they're lost. And they will look toward the earth 
And what do they see in verse 22? They only see distress and darkness and fearful gloom. And so why are they ignorant? Well, it seems like they're looking to human resources, human endeavour to solve the world's problems. They're going to the experts, maybe it's mystics, maybe it's scholars, for solutions. Yes, they say, yeah, we're in the darkness, but we can fix it. Yes, you can. We will overcome. And that's true today. Here is what's true of humanity. People will look to the state to fix things, to fix COVID or to fix a busted economy. Some will look to the marketplace or technology or they'll appeal to science to fix things. And the assumption is the same that things are dark, yep, but we can fix it. We can do it. Just watch us. We can end this darkness with intellect and innovation, can't we? Can't we? Well, I don't know. Do you think we're doing a good job? Tell me, has science and technology, has it saved us from any kind of threat of nuclear conflict? Has it? Or wait, did it create it? Oh. Well, what about the government? Does the government... Does it solve potential problems with social or ethnic divisions and conflict or does it inadvertently compound them? Will the market, will the market save us from the decline of our environment? Can we overcome poverty? Can we overcome injustice and violence and evil? Can we do that? We can do that, can't we? We can create a world of unity and peace, can't we? We can save ourselves, can't we? Well, a Christian will have an answer to that, but let me consult an atheist for a moment. Let's consult someone like mm, Bertrand Russell. Here's what the atheist says. Even more purposeless, more void of meaning is the world which science presents for our belief. Man is the product of causes that which had no provision of the end they were achieving. That is his origin, his growth, his hopes and fears, his loves, his beliefs, are but the outcome of accidental collocations of atoms. That no fire, no heroism, no intensity of thought and feeling can preserve an individual life beyond the grave. That all the labours of the ages, all the devotion, all the inspiration, all the noonday brightness of human genius are destined to extinction in the vast death of the solar system and that the whole temple of man's achievement must inevitably be buried beneath the debris of a universe in ruins. What a cheerful soul he is. <laughs> I mean, well, that's an atheist take. Talk about dark. Yeah, yeah, that's a dark, dark outlook, isn't it? And it's not inconsistent with the end of Isaiah that if we look only to the earth and human resources and the state, the darkness only gets darker. See, the Bible's take on Christmas doesn't say, hey, cheer up, everyone, we can make the world a better place. 
If we try hard enough, that's not what the Bible says. No, the, the Christmas message of the Bible is that things are bad. Things are dark. There is no saving ourselves. There's no political system. There's no ideology. But nevertheless, there is hope. The Christ, Christmas message is that on those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. And we know Jesus, of course, has brought that light to save us. He indeed is the light, John 8 verse 12. Jesus is it. Now, back in Isaiah, when he talks about light dawning, the picture, of course, is the sun, S-U-N, sun. Sunlight brings life, truth, beauty. Think about life. If the, if the sun went out, life would end, wouldn't it? The sun really quite literally is the source of life. So too, only in God do we live and breathe and have our being. We exist only because God is upholding us, keeping us together every moment. What else? If the sun is light. Uh, life, the sun is also truth. Think about it. If you drive your car at night with no headlights, what's going to happen? It's not going to end well. But light reveals the truth of the things around you. The Bible says God is the source of all truth. That's in our First uh, John chapter 1 uh, passage verses 5 and 6 God is a source of all truth and so the only reason we can know anything is because of God he made us but on another level we can't know who God is unless he shows it only through him and his word can we truly understand who God is and who we are before him so um, so the son is life the sun reveals truth uh, and the sun is beautiful. Uh, light dazzles. It glimmers. It brings joy. Uh, a missionary friend of mine uh, serves in Cambodia uh, with her husband and she was posting memories of their first home in Cambodia and there's a picture of a kitchen with no windows, no sunlight. It's dark. It's black so that every home ever since, what is she showing us? She's posting pictures of a home that has windows, kitchens that are filled with sunlight. Uh, and the caption is, look, we've got a window. Such does the light bring joy. God is the source of beauty and joy and those windows that invite all that light to stream in, that which is so lovely has God's signature on it. And so God alone then brings the life, the truth and the joy that we lack ourselves. The Bible here says that such a light has dawned. Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 to 7, uh, puts it like this. It takes it further. You'll know these words. Verse 6, For to us a child is born. For to us a son is given. A child brings it. 
A child brings the light. What other titles follow the child? Can you see him there? He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, which means he's the creator, Prince of Peace, yet the child is born. The one with all these uh, magnificent titles, he's a child that is born. Born a human being. Do we see that the maker is made? And if the child is mighty God, if the child is mighty God, then it is not okay to just merely like him. Indifference to mighty God will not wash. I mean, think about the Gospels. When you read through the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, people are never indifferent about Jesus They're either terrified of him or they're in awe of him. No one just merely likes Jesus in the Gospels as you read them. No one said, oh, man, he's just so inspiring. Makes me want to be better. No one says that. If the baby born at Christmas is mighty God then we must serve him completely. Secondly, if he's the wonderful counsellor and prince of peace, we should want to. Why? Because he knows what it's like to be you. No other God or religion can claim that. We serve a God who understands us inside out. No other religion says God has suffered that God was courageous, that he knows what it's like to be abandoned by friends, to be crushed by injustice, to be tortured and to die. No other religion says that about God. But Christmas says, your God does. Which means that when you pray, God, you can know God totally gets it. The incarnation means that God has the honesty and the courage to take his own medicine. He can exact nothing from man that he has not exacted from himself. That's what Christmas means. He's done the human experience, whether it's trivial family irritations that are never really trivial, are they? or hard work, or money, the lack thereof. He got hungry, he got tired, he was even called names. He was sworn at. He was called the, the spawn of the devil of all things, repeatedly. Not to mention the horrors of pain, or humiliation, or nakedness, despair, and death. Yeah, that's right, death. That's our wonderful counsellor. The counsellor that knows what he's talking about. And so it really is wonderful. And of course, he really is wonderful because he's mighty God. Mighty God who came to serve us. He became one of us. He enters our darkness and saves us through the cross, freely out of sheer love. And if that is wonderful, even beautiful, then our obedience is never a labour, 
but a joy. We obey and serve not because we have to, but because we want to, surely, in light of all that he has done for us. Jesus is the divine light of the world. He brings life where there is spiritual death. He shows us truth that heals our spiritual blindness. He is the joy and beauty that breaks our addictions to money, sex and power. He is the wonderful counsellor, the companion that walks with us even into and through the, the valley of the shadow of death. He is the light for us when all other lights go out. Question, how can this light be mine then? Well, to us, a son is given. He's a gift. And because it's a gift, you've got to be willing to receive it. Christmas is about receiving gifts, but some gifts require us to swallow our pride, don't they? Like you pull back the wrapping and your wife has bought you a stick of deodorant. Ah, that's a clue. Or, or, or someone's bought you a book on dieting. Mm. Or, or imagine another book and it's titled How to Overcome Your Anger. Or, or another, let's keep going with the books. Or How to Overcome Selfishness. And you say thank you. If you manage a thank you for those gifts, well, you're part of the way to admission that you actually needed it, that it was somehow warranted. Or maybe you've been in such serious financial difficulty, someone has come to you and offered you a substantial amount of money to help you out of your predicament. That would be a pride swallow, wouldn't it? Never ever has there been a gift offered that makes us swallow our pride to such great depths than the gift Jesus requires us to. Christmas means we're lost. Christmas means we are unable to save ourselves and that nothing less than the death of Jesus himself can save us. Nothing less. God has to act. And at Christmas we remember he did. He has. It means that there's no one here capable of pulling themselves together. To accept the gift means accepting that you need saving. It's to acknowledge that you're a sinner. We need to be saved by grace. We need to give up control of our life. But maybe you're hearing this and you're thinking, yeah, I don't want to come down that far. As you think about not wanting to come down that far, see that Jesus is. Such as his love for us, Jesus will come down. He has come down. Watch him at Christmas descend. Descend into greatness. See him at the cross descend into greatness again. When Jesus died on the cross, what fell over the land? <laughs> Darkness. Darkness fell over the land. That's Matthew 27, 45. The light of the world descended into darkness in order to bring us into God's beautiful, pure light. Christmas means 
diddly squat unless we acknowledge the darkness. We'll never really get Christmas unless we admit we cannot save ourselves or even know ourselves without the light of his unmerited grace in our life, without the light that is Jesus himself.